today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right. Uh, in case you uh, didn't notice over the weekend, uh, Major General Danny Fortson, uh, the guy who's been leading Canada's vaccine rollout, uh, just very suddenly stepped down, uh, is under investigation. We now find out that, uh, well, we don't really know much at all other than this was something in regard to him exposing himself uh, over 30 years ago, this uh, came to be uh, came to light, I guess, in March. And apparently, uh, over the weekend, this all came down. The, really, the only thing that we know about uh, and the new information that has surfaced is that uh, apparently the, a situation where he exposed himself at military college, and uh, this happened like over over 30 years ago, came to uh, light in March. That's when the report came out, and of course. Uh, he has uh, denied all of these allegations uh, as such, and uh, it is what it is. Certainly, uh, when you think about the situation in the military, uh, the timing is not good for uh, the Canadian military. That being said, uh, is this a situation where it's obvious that house cleaning needs to happen, or is this piling on? Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa PR and is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. I hope hope you're doing well. Yes, and you too, Scott. So, uh, obviously, we've got a situation with the military. We've been talking about it on the show for the for the last several weeks in regard to, uh, obviously, what happened uh, with uh, General Vance and, and the allegations against him. And there's certainly no shortage of these sorts of uh, allegations. We know that there was a, a study done like five years ago, and, and nothing's been done in regard to that. And here we are heading into uh, another one. What are your thoughts on the latest situation around? Fortin. Well, what happened with uh, Denis Fortin is that he is caught up in really a swirl of allegations that have gone unnoticed um, and not taken care of. And so because of that, he is really, you know, his guilt, while may not have caused an uproar five years ago and nobody knew that about anything that was going on. But right now he is truly a victim of circumstance. So first you have Vance, who was, uh, there were several um, allegations against him. And now we keep reading about people, you know, members of the, uh, of the armed forces that were in, you know, very high positions that were also accused several times of uh, sexual allegations and assault. So, or allegedly, because, um, you know, I haven't read the report, and so I'll just throw in allegedly there. So as a result of that, there is zero tolerance, Scott, for anything. So on on first blush, you look at this and you think, okay, it was 30 years ago, maybe it was a big party at RMC, and maybe he was drunk, and maybe he revealed himself, which, you know, Mm. it can be shocking to anybody. But I think that because of the environment that we're in right now, and nobody wants to make a misstep because there have been so many missteps in the military right now as far insofar as uh, protecting, um, you know, females that work within the in the military, that this has there's no margin of error here. There's no sort of wiggle room here. So right away they have to say, OK, we're just going to cut bait. Sorry, yeah. this may have happened 30 years ago. You may deny it, but we can't wait for that. We need to move on. So, uh, you know, you were talking about him getting caught in the net and such. Is this the tip of the iceberg for him, or is it, again, just, you know, the the, the color has changed now, and you're either in or you're out? 
Well, this is it. And I think that the latter, exactly what you just said, Scott, and I think that the problem is is that there's been many allegations, and this report details a lot of these allegations. And you have had senior leaders within the military kind of retiring you know, a little bit suddenly or a little bit out of character. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they knew this report was coming down. You never know. But the problem exists. The problem exists is that females in the military haven't felt safe for a number of reasons. And maybe it's because of this very permissive culture among males in the military, the way they, they treat their female counterparts, and maybe even their female subordinates. So, you know, perhaps you get into more of a bro mentality. Well, if he did it, then I can do it, and we can all just get away with it. But the fact of the matter is, is you can't get away with it anymore. And there are too many complaints that have gone um, without action and without resolve. And now they're all being looked into. And this is a huge black eye in the military and on the, on the way that they have treated women. So there is a big reckoning, and Forta absolutely fell into that. So, uh, you know, 30 years ago, he exposed himself at military college. You know, you kind of giggled about that. And again, I do not mean to uh, take away from the, the, the sensitivity of this issue. And, you know, no sexual misconduct is, is tolerable. Um, but, you, you know, you're, we're looking at, and again, we, we don't know this, this situation or what happened or how deep this went or, or how long this lasted or whether the behavior came out in other ways or so. But you know, there's people sitting there and going, he dropped his pants like 30 years ago and he's stepping down for this. Um, again, as the conversation we've had many times, can you, uh, view the past through today's lens? Well, that's a really tough one. Um, and, you know, the great woke generation will be like, no, absolutely not, uh, you know. And then those of us who perhaps have lived a little life and think, okay, well, maybe this is what happened, and can we absolutely just cancel everybody, at every, you know, at the drop of a dime? And that's obviously what, what's happening here. Um, he will like, I'm sure there's a picture of Prince Harry in a situation like this. I mean, well, if this was Prince Harry. in Nazi uniform, but that doesn't <laughs> exactly. matter anymore. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and there's other pictures, you know, in Vegas of him in a hot tub, you know, and obviously in the hot tub with a, a bathing suit on. So yeah. I, I think it's just, you know, the time, the place, the rhetoric, the narrative, it all plays in against Fortown right now. And he will obviously defend himself vigorously and, um, you know, try to extricate him uh, himself from this allegation and see what sort of proof there is. But people are just too scared right now, Scott, uh, especially the military, because they're under a red-hot spotlight. So they don't even want to have any wiggle room as to, well, you know, maybe we'll just excuse this one, because they've excused too many prior to that. And many more yeah. allegations that are much more serious. So an example has to be made here. An example has to be made. And it's it's really being a, a victim of circumstance and a victim of the military's inaction on sexual abuse uh, allegations for you know the past decade. Of, you know who knows how long to be quite honest, Scott. I mean, who knows how long? So nobody wants to give him, you know, uh, any more leeway than he needs. It's just easier to say, okay, you're out. We need to move on. You know, thank goodness there was no cameras and phones when a group of my friends went uh, through the high school parking lot during lunch hour, uh, hanging moons out the back of a pickup truck and everybody busting in laughter. And because what if that would come back now? 
to haunt well, us. That's all an American graffiti. That, that, that's a movie. Exa- yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what if that third R's from the right is Thompson's? What? what yeah, I mean, you know, I'm dead. You know? Well. Now everybody's searching for that picture. And believe me, there is no picture. And, and what it does is it empowers people. It empowers people in the right way, but also empowers people maybe in the wrong way. Yeah. And maybe it's a bridge too far. But I think that this cancel culture and the social reckoning will have a reckoning. And I don't know when. Um, however, I think that people are getting tired of it generally, generally getting tired of it. And you know that that's more on the liberal side versus the conservative side. And I yeah. think that people are not about done, but they sit back and they listen. And at some point, they're going to say, you know what? Enough is enough. We're not getting anything done. All we're doing is blaming people and it's hindering progress. All right, let's uh, move on to another scenario. My daughter is uh, 18, going on 19, finishing her first year, uh, finished her first year of university uh, from her bedroom, of course. Um, and when they were before the, the global pandemic, I used to whenever I was wanted to take a shot at my daughter, I would call her a Kardashian. You know, like that's just so Kardashian. It's just so superficial. It's just so bling. It's just so fluff. It's just so irrelevant. And then, uh, to my amazement, uh, she has grown into a beautiful young woman in the last year but her attitude has completely changed completely changed uh post pandemic and there was an interesting article in the star uh, rich and famous and offside how a pandemic audience lost its appetite for some celebrity culture do you think this covid uh 19 pandemic will change that sort of Kardashian image, fake it till you make it kind of mentality. What are we going to be like coming out the other end of this as far as that's concerned? Because it's well, interesting, I think, yeah. you know, we, we talked about this before when Drake was, you know, held up in his mansion and complaining to everybody and it kind of rubbed everyone the wrong way. I think people have had a long time for self-reflection, especially for your daughter entering first year. This is a pivotal year, obviously, when the, you know you go into post-secondary education. It's when you make new friends, you make new alliances, and you know, as opposed to sitting there twelve hours a day and hopefully you know you make connections with people over Zoom. So, first years uh, last year really had a, a tough time. I think. Um, I think that there's, but that being said, I think there's been a lot of self-reflection from a lot of people and no longer, you know, you're scrolling, scrolling when you're bored and you're on Instagram. And I think it just gets, you know what, it's enough already. It's enough. And I think that people are no longer bowing down to that celebrity culture. And maybe a lot of people and hopefully a lot of people are seeing it for what it is. It's really just to show products. It's to show unrealistic images. It's to show, it's to, uh, you know, put, you know, I, I am like this and you are not. And I think that people are tired of that, to be quite honest. And I think that there's always cultural shifts, Scott, that happen as a result of uh, defining moments. Uh, the pandemic is clearly a defining moment for everybody across the board. And I think it will redefine how we consume media, how we consume social media, and how we consume people that are really have just do not have our best interests at hand and only their own self-interest does this ramp up the woke does this ramp up the cancel culture or does this neutralize it i think it just neutralizes it i think it's also until the next thing comes along 
there's always that. People do yeah. like to rally behind, you know, the flavor of the moment, the taste of the day. And I'm not saying that there won't be future Kardashians, but I think that, you know, with the, their, their show is over, I mean, how are they going to keep uh, being relevant? And, and that just might reach a saturation point, to be quite honest. I think that they should take their money, live their lives, and just go quietly into the night, quite personally. You know, it's interesting. I was having a, a, a fascinating discussion with my producer, Will Affair, as we often do. And and prior to the pandemic, we're always complaining kids are on their devices too much. You know, they're standing around in a circle, and instead of chatting, they're all looking down at their device, talking to the person across the, you know, two elbows over from them. Uh, but they're, they're not chatting. They're on their device doing it. Uh, now, of course, into the bedroom for a year and a half or however long it has been. And that's all they've been doing. So now it's, oh, my goodness, I just want to see people. I want to get out. Are we going to see kids giving up devices to get back on their bikes and see each other as a result of this? You know, you might. And I think that that's a sociological thing that we really have to look at, to be quite honest. And, and I would hope that somebody tracks that. Well, you can. You can track usage. 100% you can track usage. I think people crave being with other people. I think that we'll see um, a different type of self-reflection and image taking. People at dinner. So like, will oh, kids goodness, look where I am? Or will kids wrong. crave more FaceTime? Will they they want more face-to-face time? Do you think? I absolutely do think that. I think that people can hardly wait to go to a concert. You know, we see these images coming out of uh, England and New Zealand of people at raves and concerts standing mm-hmm. shoulder to shoulder, and you're like, huh? But, uh, you know, people crave interaction. They really do. And I would hope that we get back to the art of talking versus the art of simply uh, always communicating through our devices. Right now, I I think that communication is still rampant. I think that there will always be a texting thing among kids. I always say that they live in this silent world. You know, I'll be sitting there with my daughter. She's 21. And, you know, Tippity just broke beside me in the car, you know, Tippity tap tap. And I'm like, uh-huh. what are you talking to? Which I don't care yeah. about asking about anymore. So I do. And, you know, you've got to ask your kid those questions. And you have to um, tell them that you're interested. And you have to tell them that you n- want to know what's going on. But I, but I am hoping that there is less reliance on that for communication going forward. All right. I uh, can't let you go without uh, your uh, thoughts on Ellen DeGeneres. And, you know, here's a person that's just had a roller coaster of a career uh, and come back and, and, and won again, you know, fallen, got back up and, and, and rides away. Uh, and then literally ratings have fallen in half of what they were. And then obviously the show uh, is going to run its course. Uh, surprised that they couldn't fix this damage. Yeah, I, I think I was surprised, but I also think that there was a couple other things going on. Like Ellen also had that game show, the one where she's you know, got lots going on, something wrong, right? And then they drop three floors into goo, and it was just yeah. so mean spirited. I couldn't even watch it. I couldn't even watch it, Scott. So hmm. then you put that together with what a toxic workplace it is, and that she's difficult, and that she she's mean, and people were you know easily able to draw a line from one incident to the next. And I don't think people just, they just felt it was a big put on. And if there's one thing the average person doesn't want to be is, you know, to, to have the wool pulled over their eyes. And I think that viewers felt that. And they no, they no longer felt that she was the be kind lady. And they no longer felt that she was being genuine in their responses. So as soon as you 
you know, uh, have that one moment um, that absolutely rings false with people. They have a hard time of letting that go, and it creates a different lens for them to look at you through. And that's what happened to Ellen. Listen, she has had a great run. I watched the yep. Ellen show. And then she came out, and then her career went into the dumps, and she went back onto the circuit doing yep. stand-up. And then she really dug herself out and put herself at the very, very top of the game. This is unfortunate this has happened, but if you've ever worked in a toxic workplace, it's really lousy. And because of social media and people felt empowered to talk about it publicly and overtly, and they just didn't care anymore, it really, really tarnished her image. So is this part of that fake life Kardashian discussion we were having earlier? You talked about the big put on. Um, are we becoming or do we want more genuine people as opposed to fake? I think that we always feel that there's some sort of artifice going on. But I think that there is also uh, people have a less tolerance for, for fake um, I think that during the pandemic, you know, we always wanted to go into and go off into a different place and not have to watch the news and then the deaths and the numbers and the incidences. So, you know, obviously, I think that's really why this this uh, the story about Ellen DeGeneres took off it, to sort of fill that vacuum of all this mm. terrible news. So people paid a lot of attention to it. Um, like I said, Scott, I mean, you know, somebody else always comes along. Somebody with a different shtick, somebody with a different narrative, something, somebody that people can gather around that has a, uh, a sort of a large base of a common denominator, that it doesn't matter who you are, where you work, where you live, how much you earn, that everybody likes it. And people will gather around that. So and, and everything has its, has its apex, and then it, it, it has its, you know, to be fancy, it's a denouement, it, it trails off until something yeah. else replaces it. Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture expert, talking everything post-pandemic and how it has changed the way we look at life. Alyssa, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. And you too, Scott. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I would not think that it would be a good idea as long as the numbers are, you know, uh, too high to go into a cinema. Uh, we will be far away from that, of course, without a mask right now. You know, things will change, but we're simply not there, even if people are vaccinated. They are challenging because even after two doses of the vaccines, the effectiveness is perhaps only 65%, which is high, but it's not as high as the 90 or 95% that we have for, uh, you know, the B117 from the UK, for example. We need to be very careful. These vaccines are great. You know, the, uh, the ones from Pfizer and Moderna, absolutely. But again, remember, we have these variances lurking in the background that uh, partially escape these vaccines. So the vaccine effectiveness will decrease a bit. And we just need to be very careful to keep this pandemic under control. So close. So close. Just uh, <laughs> keep digging, man. Uh, more and more vaccine coming into the province as of uh, this uh, week. So a result, as a result of that, uh, uh, they've lowered the age down to 18 plus. 18 plus starting tomorrow, you can go onto the site and book your shot. Pfizer, Moderna, what have you. All right. Uh, interesting angles uh, as we slowly get vaccinated and, and, uh, and, and come out of this pandemic, if... Uh, 
uh, well, I'll just say vaccinated. I'm not sure when we're out of it. Uh, but obviously, if you look to the UK and the United States, uh, who are ahead of us in the vaccination process, uh, it's interesting to see what they're dealing with now. The US um, uh, dealing with hesitancy because they were washing vaccines. So a lot of people, eh, you know, I'm not even going to think about my second shot, blah, blah, blah. So they've got, you know, issues uh, around that. And, you know, obviously still concerns of, uh, of, of variants that could uh, affect those people who have not been vaccinated. Uh, and then the same sort of thing with the UK, uh, who are slowly opening up and, again, very conscious and cautious of uh, the variants and, and, and what that means. Uh, however, uh, you know, obviously we're trying to get everybody vaccinated here, but are the, are, are the fears becoming unjustified at times, especially when it is time to open the door and go out. A lot of us still scared of our own shadow. Uh, let's bring in Thomas Tenke, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson University. He's with us now. Thomas, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Uh, yes, thanks, Scott. Thanks very much for having me again. Uh, your thoughts, Thomas, on 18 plus. Boy, uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, we were, you know, trying to, to squeeze in uh, who's getting in line and, and who's getting vaccinated. Now we're opening up 18 plus. What are your thoughts on that? And, and what are the challenges as we move through the rest of everybody? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The uh, I think it's a good good move to be able to, uh, you know, open up to 18 plus now. Uh you know the the issue will be, you know, supply of vaccines and having enough to to be able to, uh, you know, vaccinate everyone. And particularly, uh, you know, we we're looking at the first dose for you know plus 18s, but we've got a lot of people there in the system who also need their second dose. So so we've got uh, you know a lot of pressure on the vaccine supply now to be able to deliver in regard to. The, the broader range of uh, you know age groups that are, that are, it's open up to. So so my you know my sense like personally you know I went on and uh, when my age group was was opened up and it, the uh, system said well yep great you can uh, you can be vaccinated but it'll take a month. So yeah. so I think you know people will have to be prepared that then there will be some delay in that process as well. And yeah, and really what this is, is just getting everybody in line. The registration portion is open, but it's going to take a while for all of this to filter through. Oh, yes. De- yeah, definitely. And, and and I think if people are you know patient and, and you know, wait their turn, uh, you, know, I, you know, I know that early on, you know, people, when they were able to book through pharmacies, were, you know, booking at a dozen or, you know, dozen different pharmacies in the hope to be able to get into one. And, uh, you know, I, I think if people just sort of follow the the uh, the online system and, and you know book in uh, and you know uh, they'll be fine they'll, they'll get in the queue and, and uh, you know definitely with the broad you know larger proportion of people getting vaccinated at least the, the one dose and uh, you know I think that's really starting to take hold in regard to drive driving the numbers down. So what are your thoughts on, as we come out of this, uh, people still being fearful, uh, some of it justified, some of it not justified? Um, it's not going to be opening a door and running out into a field of daisies. Uh, your thoughts on uh, how people are feeling and how they move from this point to back to reality? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, I, I think, because it's been going on for so long, and you know we've had the the yo-yo effect of of 
restrictions uh, being more intense and then easing off. And 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 I, th- I think you know definitely people are tired and, and uh, frustrated and just really want it all over and done with. But but we are in that stage where we you know we're still at you know over two thousand cases a day. Uh, you know we really need to drop it. Like I know they're talking you know a thousand cases a day to sort of ease off a bit, but. You know, really, we need to drop it even you know a lot further than that. You know, the pre- previous summer we were down at under a hundred cases a day, and that's when you know we saw a lot lot more of the the uh, you know, restrictions being opened up. And I think you know, like I think a thousand cases a day is is okay, but uh, I don't wouldn't see that you know the broader restrictions will be really opened up until we're a lot lower than that. So. So I think people just have to try and you know hang in there uh, and uh, and just just be patient. But uh, definitely uh, you know outdoor activities. I think uh, you know my sense is that that's where we'll see some easing of restrictions because the the evidence for outdoor activities and transmission risk is is pretty low in outdoor activities. So so I think you know if that can happen, I think people will feel a lot better. Um, uh, the headline I'm reading in the National Post, Unjustified Fears When COVID-19 Anxiety Stops Making Sense. Uh, uh, are people more scared of the new variants than they were of the original uh, disease? Um, you know, this article talks about, uh, you know, misinformation and how things get ramped up and the story gets told and, and gets bigger with each each situ- uh, situation. The, the new variants, uh, there was reports that they are more dangerous, uh, not necessarily more dangerous, but certainly do uh, travel a lot quicker, spread a lot faster. Uh, are, are we fearful of things we shouldn't be fearful of or is it just trying to separate fact from fiction? Well, I definitely think, you know, at this point, you know, after, you know, over a year with with the lockdowns and restrictions and and I think people are naturally going to be a, a lot more cautious and, and uh, fearful of, of, you know, what, what the future holds. What, you know, and it's also because, you know, it's, it's an ongoing, it's an evolving situation, you know, what was seen to be truth or fact, you know, a week ago now is, you know, there's something different, and 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 that that constant, uh, you know, sort of changing of what seems to be fact, yeah, you know, means that there's a you know breeds an underlying sense of of unbelief and, and not really knowing what you know what the truth is, and so so you know so for me I you know I go back to the numbers and and you know, definitely like you said the 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 overall numbers of deaths are, are drop are dropped dramatically. Uh, the the numbers of deaths in in under eighteen uh, sorry under nineteen is a very small proportion of the overall number of deaths, uh, but the you know and and that's in comparison to the number of cases that we have we we had a lot more deaths proportionally in the first wave when yeah. when we were only having like six hundred cases uh, a day you know versus three thousand a day. Well, uh, today for example, Thomas, I mean twenty one hundred seventy new cases uh, and, and four passing away, and obviously for those families, uh, our condolences to them. And that's you know they've still got to deal with this with this pandemic. But boy, there were times when that was four hundred. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. You know, when you look at the proportion, we're 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 definitely seeing that the the the. The variants are, are more easily transmissible, and so that's why the broader age groups are, are, are 
you know, are getting more equally impacted. And so, so we're seeing that that uh, you know initially the the initial uh, initial uh, virus was was really targeting you know the very frail and, and elderly. But once we got into the variants, it was sort of an equal opportunity impactor. And so, so that's why we're sort of seeing across the board all the all the age groups, and particularly in the twenty to thirty nines, are really the one where that are getting have the highest number. But but proportionally, those those numbers are are continuing to hold while the while the overall n- uh, number of cases is decreasing. So so that sort of in, infers, or you can infer that you know that. That, that that sort of transmission is is sort of continues across all age groups. All age groups are relatively uh, at, at the same level of risk, uh, and so then it really means the sort of deaths are, are going to be associated with sort of further underlying medical conditions or or, or other factors. So so I think um, you know we're we're in a you know, in a good position from that perspective, but people. But definitely, you know, the the information and, and or misinformation is, is sort of hard to know, you know, who to, who to rely on. And you know, and we you know, we've been talking about this since this whole thing started. Uh, many were saying, "Well, I'm not going to get this." It, you know, at the beginning of this, it was uh, it didn't affect young people. It only affects uh, boomers and those that are older and such. Um, and, and, you know, or it's not going to affect me. It affects that person, but that's really not, and hasn't been the concern. The concern is, and, and what really determines when restrictions and such open up is our hospital capacity. The fact is, is that, uh, whether we're moving about or what have you, the hospitals are still, uh, in, um, you know, a rough situation where they need those ICU numbers down before we can really start to open things up. It's not a case of who's dying and getting sick and we see those numbers coming down. We got to see those hospital numbers go down. Oh yeah, definitely, and and that you know that's really driving a lot of the decisions as well from from the government's perspective because because you know once once you have that that stress on the system then you you don't have capacity to deal with uh, you know emerging emerging issues and, and you know uh, situations that that come about so so definitely the uh, you know the stress on the on the ICUs and, and the hospital system is is a is a big one and 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 I think you know that's that's where we come back to, you know, as a, as a society, as as a community, you know, we we've got to sort of look out for each other and 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 to try and make sure that, you know, it's in everyone's best interest to try and de- decrease that uh, that stress on the on the hospital system. Thomas Tenkate with us, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health, Ryerson University. Thomas, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks very much, Scott. Have a great day. All right, let's move on and talk about your attitude, how you're thinking, and how you're feeling as we are uh, 61 weeks into this uh, pandemic. Well, at least, you know, if you're counting March break when we all got sent home uh, a year ago, March break. All right. Uh, and then, and Leger has, uh, been, been, uh, monitoring how you're feeling, what you're doing. And it's been pretty fascinating to watch people coming and going through this pandemic. I uh, remember way back at the beginning, most thought, well, you know, a couple of weeks, we'll hunker down and we'll all be fine. We'll be over. And then here we are, you know, well over a year. Uh, it's pretty hard to go through something like this and not be somehow affected by it. Uh, what about your vacation plans? 
and going somewhere. How do you feel about it? You know, we're hearing uh, anecdotally stories from the United States, you know, even though they're vaccinated, people still don't want to go out. People still don't want to get on an airplane. Others, you know, yeah, get out of the way. I can't wait to fly. I can't wait to travel anywhere. See anybody. Uh, let's bring in Andrew Enns, Executive VP of Leger, and with us now. Andrew, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hey, Scott, thanks for having me on. And yeah, doing uh, doing well, for sure. So, a recent poll, uh, 71% either have gotten the vaccine or are on the way, hoping to get one very soon. Those numbers are increasing. More and more people uh, wanting to get the jab. Uh, does a lower supply usually mean lower hesitancy rates, do you think? Well, certainly, I mean, you're right. The the, the numbers are, uh, are are improving. I mean, we started off polling back in October about people's uh, tendency to get vaccines in around the high 60% back then. And now we're, uh, you know, 70% are, are absolutely in getting it. And I think, you know, you count people who have been vaccinated, we're getting even close to 80%. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's good. Um, you talk about hesitancy. I think some of the concern around hesitancy is, is not so much the the supply, but some of the questions around the different vaccines. Uh, mm. You know, in particular, one that uh, there seems to have been some some different views on, and 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 whether uh, you know it's the preferred dose to get. I think that doesn't help things. But you know, I I think the reality is the message that the more we get vaccinated, the more people we get vaccinated, the sooner we get back to normal. Um, pretty good enticement. So obviously uh, warmer weather is uh, is here and a lot of people just want to get out. How do we feel about travel? How do we feel about vacation this year? Well, so yeah, we, we asked in our last poll, we asked some questions about the intentions of Canadians uh, traveling and um, still, you know, still the majority of Canadians are saying that uh, they, they are not planning any any summer vacations uh, for this year, um, which, you know, 54% say that, which isn't, I think, great. However, when we look back at, we asked that the same question back in uh, last year about this time, and we had 70, 72% saying that they were planning any summer vacations. So mm. to some degree, things are looking up a bit. I think vaccines are, are helping in that regard. Um, Canadians are still going to stay pretty close to home, uh, even if they do sort of get out. Um, it's going to be uh, kind of within the province, so I think there'll be a lot of movement within Ontario this, um, you know, this uh, um, th- this summer, which which uh, isn't the worst thing. What about uh, as it does open up? Is are people just going to all of a sudden? Oh, we can travel now. We can go out. We've got a passport. We got this. We got that. You know, look out! I'm going to jump on the plane. Or do you think there's still going to be some hesitancy? Uh, you know, we've heard you know anecdotally uh, in the United States where even where they're you know people are like been vaccinated twice and whatever, they're still very hesitant to go back to those normal activities. Any thoughts on that? I think, you know, we, we had some questions in terms of some different things that people would be, uh, you know, more comfortable doing. And, and certainly higher up in terms of comfort level uh, are road trips and, and sort of staying within Canada, Canadian vacations, um, you know, th- th- those sorts of things. I think the, I think there is going to be some hesitancy, Scott, in terms of the taking sort of those international trips. Uh, and even, quite frankly, you know, when you think of getting on a cruise again, which was, you know, really popular prior to the pandemic, yeah. and 
but I think we've, uh, you know, we've seen, we saw early on in the pandemic, some of those, uh, those terrible situations where people were, were stuck on a, on a cruise for a prolonged period. So I, I believe that there's going to be, um, a bit of a, a wait and see. They're going to want to see a few of these things happening and, and uh, hear maybe from some people that they know or hear anecdotally how, how you know, people did these things, came back. It was good. It was good to get out again. And then you'll start to see go. So I, there could be a bit of a delayed reaction on some of those really big, uh, you know, those those big big excursions. Um, and certainly the big excursions from based on our data look like they're going to going to wait until next year before we even start to see those in any real, um, you know, uh, concrete way. 57% of Canadians say they will not feel comfortable traveling to the United States again until next year, 2022. Uh, Surprised with that considering the U.S. is so far ahead of us with vaccination and are opening up? Yeah, I think a little bit. I, I, you know, a couple of factors you have to you have to probably uh, look at in that uh, response is that right now, I mean, when you travel down to the U.S., when you come home, as the rules are, you're you're putting up in a hotel for three days right. and and potentially a, a quarantine period after that. So there's some there's some pretty strong rules that that um, you know are probably weighing on people when they respond to that. And I think as well, I, you know the for a for for quite a while, the news in the U.S. was not positive. Uh, yeah. In fact, compared to Canada, it was actually um, fairly grim in, in at many points in this pandemic. And so that probably is a factor as as to um, you know people's kind of reluctance at this stage to to engage and travel down there. Uh, we are chatting. It's hard to believe. I just heard the other day that the border has been closed for a year. It's hard to believe that uh, the U.S. and Canadian border has been closed for that long. Uh, we understand there is chatter going on about what the possible reopening, when it is going to happen and, and, and what the criteria uh, will be. Uh, do you think there's a lot of uh, fear in regard to opening the border still? There's certainly, um, we've asked that question and there's certainly a really strong majority of Canadians that uh, are um, still like to see that border uh, kept pretty tight, uh, kept closed. I think you're going to want to, A, see vaccine numbers quite high here in Canada, you know, up around that 70, uh, 70%, 75% mark that uh, the federal government has sort of targeted. And the I suspect they're going to want to still see some um, some conditions with respect to uh, vaccine, uh, you know, proof of vaccine, vaccine certifications, vaccine passports, as they call, being used for travelers coming into Canada before you'll see, you know, that uh, that reluctance uh, decline. Uh, will do you think Canadians be appreciative? Uh, will they want a travel uh, vaccination uh, passport of some sort? Is do you think Canadians will get that? Do you think that's the answer? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to travel, we we asked a question on that just uh, just recently, and and uh, there was actually pretty strong support for uh, for sort of a vaccine certification to be part of travel, and and quite frankly, travel. Um, external out of the country, uh, you know, for Canadians, if they if they leave Canada, they there was an expectation that, uh, that it would be uh, warranted to have a vaccine sort of uh, certification. Likewise, for people coming into Canada, and even even to the point of even for Canadians traveling within Canada, like going between provinces, they felt that it would be a good thing to have some sort of vaccine certification. So. You know, I do think when the uh, when the federal government sort of mused about some sort of um, you know keeping an eye on what 
what our um, you know uh, sort of neighboring countries are doing that they uh, they uh, they will be taking this fairly seriously. Do you think by next year, by 2022, uh, travel will be back to some sort of normalcy? I think that you'll start to see um, again. Let's uh, you know. I don't want to. I don't want to jinx us or get too far ahead sure. of things. But let's yeah. assume the, the vaccination process continues to roll as we uh, as we certainly currently see it, and and we get to those good numbers of 75 percent uh, plus. I do think that you'll start to see, um, you know, things in terms of bookings and travel start to pick up in the fall for the uh, for the winter, and uh, and uh, you'll start to see uh, particularly some some fr- fairly aggressive advertising from destinations that are going to you know speak to the vaccination rates on their resorts and in their areas to uh, to really encourage. Um, really encourage sort of that that uptake i think we will see some some return to some some decent travel activity in 2022 whether it gets us back to exactly pre-pandemic it may take uh may take us still a little longer uh yet but at least we'll, we'll we'll really see some positive improvement do you get the impression uh andrew that canadians are feeling hopeful or are they still really fatigued i mean it seems uh you know january february march pretty pretty dark moments for us uh still feeling uh, are they feeling hopeful or or still fatigued do you think well i i I, if i can say i think it's a it's it's probably an equal dose of both scott to be honest i mean there's there's really there's really some good news in terms of the vaccine program and and how you know the eligibility criteria seems to increase almost on a daily basis across the country um you know we're we're seeing good numbers so that's really positive on the flip side um we're still in some pretty significant lockdowns in a lot of parts of the uh, country because of the variants in the third wave um so where Canadians are, I think, the, you know, in some of our polling, a majority really feel this is this is the worst right now. It will get better. Like there is a really some optimism um, yeah. that it will get better uh, as those vaccine numbers start to go. Uh, but I'd say that you've also got Canadians are of the view that it, it just, you know, it, it hasn't come fast enough. Um, and uh you know, the uh, for a lot of Canadians, they've been vaccinated. So I think the fear of contracting the virus is starting to dissipate a bit. But the mental strain on just this ongoing can't do things, can't see people, can't see loved ones, can't uh, sort of carry on some of your normal activities is um you know, is weighing on is weighing on them on the mental side. Mm. We hear that. Uh, Andrew ends with his executive VP of Leger, uh, their latest on 2021 summer vacation plans or perhaps summer staycation plans. Andrew, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You bet. Thanks, Scott. Enjoy the rest of your day. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to three on 900 CHML.